This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program today. This is Don Boyd. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. You know, one of the hardest things it is for one of us human beings to do is to admit when we're wrong. I want to do a study today of the Apostle Paul in using this title, Don't Be Afraid to Say You're Wrong. I first want to read is kind of a lengthy reading from Adam's, Adam Clark's commentary on the Bible. And these are the conclusion of his comments at the end of Acts chapter 9, and I quote, had not this apostle of the Gentiles the fullest conviction of the truth of Christianity, the fullest proof of its heavenly influence on his own soul, the brightest prospect of the reality and blessedness of the spiritual world, he could not have taken one step in the path which the doctrine of Christ pointed out. Add to this that he lived long after his conversion, saw Christianity and its influence in every point of view, and tried in all circumstances. What was the result? The deepest conviction of its truth, so that he counted all things dross and dung in comparison of the excellency of its knowledge. Had he continued a Jew, he would have infallibly risen to the first dignities and honors of his nation, but he willingly forfeited all his secular privileges and well-grounded expectations of secular honor and emolument and espoused a cause from which he could not only have no expectation of worldly advantage, but which most evidently and necessarily exposed him to all sorts of privations, sufferings, hardships, dangers, and death itself. These were not only the unavoidable consequences of the cause he espoused, but he had them fully in his apprehension and constantly in his eye. He predicted them. He knew that every step he took was a progressive advance in additional sufferings, and the issue of his journey must be a violent death. He continues, The whole history of St. Paul proves him to be one of the greatest men, and his conduct after he became a Christian, had it not sprung from a divine motive of the truth of which he had the fullest conviction, would have shown him to be one of the weakest of men. The conclusion, therefore, is self-evident, that in Paul's call there could be no imposture, that is, in his own mind there could be no deception, that his conversion was from heaven, and the religion he professed and taught the infallible and eternal truth of Jehovah. In this full conviction, he counted not his life dear unto him, but finished his rugged race with joy, cheerfully giving up his life for the testimony of Jesus. And thus his luminous sun set in blood to rise again in glory. The conversion of St. Paul is the triumph of Christianity. His writings, the fullest exhibition and defense of its doctrines, 
and his life and death a glorious illustration of its principles. Armed with this history of Paul's conversion and life, the feeblest believer needs not fear the most powerful infidel. The ninth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles will ever remain an inexpungible fortress to defend Christianity and defeat its enemies. Reader, hath not God done this marvelous work that he may have had everlasting remembrance? And again, that is the quote there from Adam Clark's commentary on the Bible, talking about the Apostle Paul. Now I want to look at some things that we know about Paul. First, Paul was a freeborn Roman citizen, and that gave him a lot of privileges that some others would not have. In Acts chapter 16, verse 37, Acts 16, 37, after their release from the jail there in Philippi, so Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison, and now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Of course, he had been wrongly cast into prison there, and he is claiming, you no, know, he was being a Roman citizen, they're going to have to come do that. They're not going to send us out of here secretly. They're going to have to do it publicly. And then over in Acts 22, verses 24 to 28. Acts 22, 24 to 28. And this is whenever Paul was taken there in Jerusalem, rescued basically from the Jews by the Romans. It says in verse 24, The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know whereof they cried so against him. So in other words, they were going to beat him with the Roman scourging. Verse 25, And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said unto him, Tell me, art thou a Roman? He said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum I obtained this freedom. And Paul said, But I was free born. So Paul was a free-born citizen, and again, as we mentioned, that gave him some rights that other people wouldn't have. We noticed here that it was not legal for them to scourge a Roman that was uncondemned, hadn't gone to trial yet. Uh, again, Roman, uh, the Roman citizens had the opportunity to appeal to Caesar, which is what Paul did later on. There in Acts chapter 25, verse 11, Paul's there standing before Festus, and he's in Caesar's judgment seat there. He goes, or he says in verse 10, Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. 
But if there be none of these things whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. And that was every Roman's right. Well, Paul can really best introduce himself as he did to the multitude in Jerusalem there in Acts 22 when he had been arrested. In Acts 22, and we begin there in verse 1, Paul is speaking to them. He says, Men and brethren and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence. And he said, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city, that being Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye are this day. So Paul is telling them and us what he was, how he was brought up, where he was born, how he was trained, and under who he under whom he was trained. Well, Paul often discusses his heritage. In Acts chapter twenty six and verse four. Acts 26, verse 4, he is here before Agrippa. And he says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest of sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So Paul there discusses his heritage as a Pharisee, and he calls it the straightest uh, sect there of their religion. Of course, there were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Herodians, etc. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 22, Paul says, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. So we hear a little more about that as he's discussing here about those who were talking bad about him there in Corinth. And then we go to Galatians chapter 1. I want to read verses 12 through 14. Galatians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He says, For I neither received it, that being what he preached there, the gospel, that he says in verse 11. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversion in time past in the Jews, or conversation, excuse me, you have heard of my conversation, that be his manner of life, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, verse 14, and I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in mine own nation, 
being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. So he was zealous in his previous, before his conversion. He was zealous there for the, the Pharisaic religion. And then when you go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Philippians 3, 4 through 6. It says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So we see several things there about Paul discussing his heritage. Now we read earlier that he was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a doctor of the law of Moses there, and he was well known and was very respected. We go back to the book of Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, and we start there down in verse 29. And he's here speaking, you know, they had been delivered from prison here, and Peter and John were. And verse 29, well, we'll start in verse 28, excuse me. They brought him before the council, the high priest asked him, verse 28, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so also is also the Holy Ghost whom God hath given them that obey him. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. Then there stood up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. This is the Gamaliel we're looking at a doctor of the law, and had in reputation among all the people, and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. In other words, he's saying, Don't act rashly concerning these men. Verse 36, For before these days rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, Refrain from these men and let them alone. For if this counsel is the work of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, 
lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And then verse 40 says, And to him they agreed. But you'll notice when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. He had, you know, Gamaliel had good advice for them, but they had to do some things their own way there. But we see what kind of a teacher that Gamaliel was there. And we see that Paul was perfect in his manner in the law. Again, going back to Acts chapter 26, looking there at verses 4 and 5, again, Acts 26, 4 and 5, says, My manner of life from my youth, which was at first among the, my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which they knew me from, or which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So he was living that Pharisee. And again, there in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, that we read earlier, get us reminded of that again. Philippians 3, 4 through 6, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. So he was blameless. So, things we know about Paul. Paul was a Roman citizen born in the city of Tarsus who probably was from a family of some means as he was able to study under the, one of the most renowned teachers or doctor of the law there, Gamaliel. Some commentators even go as far as to say he was the most renowned teacher ever who could not be faulted in any way concerning his practice of the law of Moses. Paul was a literal rising star among the Jewish elite. And that was seen also in his endeavors and the support of the high priest in those endeavors. Back in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Acts 9, 1 and 2, and this is this Saul here is Paul. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now you look up that phrase, breathing out there in verse 1, you look at the Greek word there and it means like a bull on a rampage. So that's the type of individual Paul was. You know, he mentioned persecuting the church whenever he talks about concerning zeal. He was like a bull on a rampage after the church. Well, those are the things we know about Christ. Now let's look at the first part of his life whenever Paul was against Christ. You see, we first meet Saul or Paul when Stephen is stoned there in Acts chapter 7. 
in Acts chapter 7, whenever they are stoning Stephen, verse 58 says, And cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. That's where we're first introduced to Saul there. And in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we see the extent of Saul or Paul's persecution of the church. Acts 8, 1. And Saul was consenting to his death, that being Stephen's death. And at that time, there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So you see what kind of an effect that Saul had. Great persecution against the church in so much that it scattered people through Samaria, through Judea. Said the apostles, those stayed in Jerusalem. Verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And it says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Well, havoc there, the Greek word means ravage, ruin, and devastate. And Paul there, the church was scattered abroad. And that word hailing there in verse 3, hailing men and women, that is to drag them before the judge. Again, he's like a bull on a rampage. And again, the church was scattered abroad. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So even though Saul of Tarsus here, later on known as Paul, was trying to destroy the church, he actually helped in the spreading of the word of God about the church and the gospel. And again, over in Acts chapter 22 now, Paul recounts this period of time himself. Acts 22 Four and five. He says, And I persecuted this way unto the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, and also, as also the high priest doth bear me witness in all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. So he was definitely like a bull on a rampage. He was devoted to the Pharisaical law, the law of Moses, but the Pharisees had changed so much of it. He was devoted to that and to destroy the followers of this man called Jesus Christ. Well, it's at this point that Paul meets Christ. He's heading to Damascus. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. He's heading to Damascus, and there's a, this is a pivotal event 
that happens in his life. Verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. You notice, must do. Verse 7, And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Now you think about this. He was like a bull on a rampage. He was trying to destroy the church. He was devastating the church. He was scattering people. He was consenting to their death. He was hailing them and before dragging them before the judges, casting them into prison. And then all of a sudden, he meets this one called Jesus, who's been raised from the dead. Well, he also, Paul, gave a little more detail of this defense in his, or this event in his defense before King Agrippa over in Acts 26. So he's going back and telling Agrippa what happened here. And we're going to read verses 12 through 18. He says to Agrippa, verse 12, Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the high priest, or chief priest, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But arise, and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things into which I will appear unto thee delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And we notice that Paul obeyed in each case. He says in verse 19 of chapter 26, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, 
We saw over in Acts chapter 9, he went into Damascus and he was there three days without food and without water or drink of any kind. Well, let's look at another. He also told of this event to the multitude in Jerusalem when he was arrested back in Acts 22. In Acts 22, starting there in verse 6, he says, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus, about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground, and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And the men that, or they that were with me, saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. Now I want to stop there for a minute. Here it says that the men that were with him did not hear the voice of him that spake to me. Yet over in chapter 9, verse 7, it says, The men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So is that a contradiction? Well, whatever you think about it, have you ever heard somebody say something and go, I didn't hear what you said. Did you hear a voice? Yes. Did you understand them? No. And that's what we're looking at here. They heard a voice there in Acts chapter 9, but in Acts chapter 22, we find that they did not understand what the voice was saying. Now, look over in Acts chapter 22, and in verse 10, it says, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which, thou, or which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came to Damascus. So he obeyed that command there to go into Damascus. So Paul was in Damascus again three days. He's blind. He's not eating or drinking. He has plenty of time to go over and over and over in his mind what just happened. What just happened? Now you think about this as well. He's in there. He's praying. We understand that. And we'll read that momentarily. But you know, one of the hardest things for a man to do is to say, I'm wrong. Paul could have and many would have attributed what happened to a hallucination. Maybe a fever. Maybe any number of things. We have a great capacity to deny what is before our eyes. And Paul could have done that. But he didn't. You know, while we're here in Acts chapter 22, we find there, continuing on in verse 12, he says, In one Ananias... A devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, 
came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked upon him. So right there we understand that apparently at one point or another, one of the apostles had laid his hands on Ananias and he was able to perform this miracle. Verse 14, And he, Ananias, said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now we've already seen that Paul was there for three days, blind, not eating or drinking. And we go back to Acts chapter 9, and we want to look at the same thing here. Verse 9 of Acts 9 says, He was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Now think about this. Saul is praying. And yet, Ananias told him in Acts 22:16, Now why tearest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? There are so many in the denominational world that teach a sinner's prayer. Was Paul a sinner? Saul of Tarsus a sinner? Yes. Was he praying? Yes. Was he forgiven in that prayer? No. What did he have to do in order to have forgiveness of sins, to wash away his sins? He said very plainly, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, the sinner's prayer is nowhere found in the Bible, but baptism for the remission of the sins is. But now let's continue over in Acts chapter 9. Verse 14, or verse 13, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into his house, into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hast sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes, as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose, and was baptized. And when they received, or he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. So right there, we see the things whenever Jesus, Paul met Jesus, he obeyed him. He obeyed him whenever he 
down what God wanted him to say. And again, he even said of himself before the high priest and chief priest in the council over in Acts 23 verse 1, Paul earnestly beholding the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. In other words, whenever he was persecuting the church, having people put in prison, consenting to people's death, he was living in all good conscience. He thought he was right. He was sincere. But he found out he was wrong. Can people be sincere and be wrong? Paul is an example of that. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, look at verses 13 to 16. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 13 to 16, or 12 to 16, let's start there. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So could Paul have been saved in ignorance and unbelief? No. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. So Paul said before the chief priest, the high priest, the council there in Acts 23.1, he told them, I've been in all good conscience all this time. I was before a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. He made havoc of the church. He said, I did that in all sincerity and in good conscience. But now I know the truth. So again, I bring up the question, can someone be sincere in their religion and still be wrong? The answer to that is yes. How hard is it for men to accept that they were ignorant, unwilling to accept that they're wrong, and change their mind, change their ways, and change their life? How many people are unwilling to do that? Well, that my family religion was good enough for Grandpa, it was good enough for Mom and Dad, and it's good enough for me. Well, is that sincere? Maybe so. Is it right? Only if their religion is right. But that shouldn't even count for it anyway. God, the Word of God, should be where we go to determine whether we're living right or not. That's where we find out whether we are sincerely wrong or not. You know, Christ sent Ananias to Paul, and Paul was obedient there, as we've already read. 
And then Paul also recounts that again. I want to look at Acts 22. We've read down through verse 16. Let's read verses 17 to 19 of Acts chapter 22. Verses 17 to 19. It says, And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And I saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of Stephen thy martyr, or my, thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. That was whenever he was speaking there to those Jews. And they gave him counsel. They gave him audience to that point, verse 22 says. But whenever he said that word, that word Gentile, they went back in a rage. Away with such a fellow from the earth, it's not fit that he should live. And that's the way they were. That's the way they were. But you know what Paul did? He admitted that he was wrong. Now, he said he was sincere before, but he was sincerely wrong. But he admitted that he was wrong, and now he's going to preach the truth. Back over in Acts chapter 9 again. Let's start down in verse 19. I'm going to read through verse 22. It said, And when he had received meat, he was strengthened, then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway, or immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogue that he is the Son of God. And you know what kind of reaction people had? Verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? But notice verses 22 and down through verse 25. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which are dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying wait plot was known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. This high-flying Jewish elite, boy, when he started preaching Christ, they wanted to kill him but he was willing to do it. And you know, I want to go ahead and read verse 26 down to verse 27 here in Acts 9. And it says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he assayed, or he wanted to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. They saw what he was like. Verse 27 says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, 
and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Paul was a persecutor, now he is a preacher. In Acts 26, let's go back there and look at verses 19 and 20. Acts 26, 19 and 20. He says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but first, or showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works meet or appropriate for repentance. And he said, For these causes the Jews caught me in a temple and went about to kill me. So he was suffering for Christ. Well, again, Paul would have been of renown among the Jews, received honor and prestige among the hierarchy of the Jewish nation if he had just continued the way he was at the beginning. But instead, he became a preacher of the gospel and was despised by those in authority for it. He tells what he suffered as a result of giving his life to Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 to 28. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. That would be 195. Thrice I was beaten with rods. No number there on how many times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We know that happened at Lystra. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And we haven't even come to the time whenever Paul faced that shipwreck in going from, excuse me, Caesarea to Rome. So he was shipwrecked four times we know of, but we don't know where these three took place. He said, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, the word waters here means rivers, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, and we've seen that, in perils by the heathen, that would be the Gentiles that were stirred up during his missionary journeys, in perils in the city, we saw that in Jerusalem, in Damascus, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You think about there's false brethren, that means there's false brethren and true brethren. And in verse 28, he said, Beside all those, all those things that are without, those things that are outside that happen to me, that which cometh upon me daily, that emotion, the care or anxiety for all the churches. He gives an example of everything that happened to him. And later in life, 
Paul says this concerning his former life, and we go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Philippians 3, 4 through 9. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. We read a couple of these verses already. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But those things that were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. In other words, they're not worth anything. Verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I might win Christ. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. So what about Paul? Paul gives us an example that whenever we find out we're wrong, don't be too proud to say we're wrong. We can acknowledge our wrongs. We can overcome our past. People will say, well, I grew up that way. That's the way I'm brought up. So what? You can overcome your past. You can give your life to Christ. And then, if you do that, you can say as he did there at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He says, for now, I'm ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. When we find out we're wrong, we need to admit it, and we need to change, just like Saul of Tarsus did that we know as the Apostle Paul. So again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to be with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.